You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com and be sure to share. Second City is back open for live shows, in-person classes, and customized corporate workshops and performances. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. You can go online and find out all the information you need at secondcity.com. Today's pod is with Pam Victor. Uh, Pam is the head of happiness. uh, That is AKA founder and president of Happier Valley Comedy, um, which is the first improv theater in Western Massachusetts. Um, She created and facilitates uh, the Through Laughter program for professional and personal growth. Um, She is the co-author of Improvisation at the Speed of Life, uh, the TJ and Dave book. Um, And we have a wonderful conversation about her work and the pivot, both into virtual but also into sort of personal happiness and well-being and resilience. And I just think she has a very fresh take on improv. So enjoy the pod. The Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is Getting to Yes And. Days can be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next The corner of the highway that leads to the job At the desk by the boss with the elegant watch The tick of the clock and the tick of the clock Mark the moments till the two keeps stops Pam Victor, welcome to the show. Thank you, I'm delighted to be here. So for the most part on this podcast, we talk to figures in academia and science or business And then I try to find the correlation between their work and the world of improv. But today we're talking to someone who is similarly steeped in the world of improvisation. So I'll start with this question. Um, Do you remember the first time you were actually exposed to theatrical improvisation? I, of course I do. Let's hear it. Uh, Yeah. And there was, that was different than my uh moment that many of us have, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, which for many people I've talked to, because I get to interview a bunch of improvisers also, uh, happens at Second City in the theater right. when, I, when they tell their aha story. So often it took place at Second City. But for me, it took place in a theater class taught by a 12th grader when I was in seventh grade. Wow. And in Michigan, in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, at a school. And so as a 12th grader, she was doing some project. Her family ran a theater. And so she's like, oh, I'll teach teach improv for middle school students. Uh, That sounds like something only (laughs) a 12th grader would be uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed enough to do. And I just loved it. I remember loving it. I didn't even know. I don't think I knew it was called improv. We played the newlywed game a lot. I thought it was delightful. Uh, and then, you know, and we did theater stuff too in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, my first was here, but I, but I, at Second City as an audience member, but I, again, I didn't have the word for it. And I often talk about this, but which was when I 
when I started here working on the night staff, I really didn't know that they created the shows through improvisation. <laughs> um, and I didn't know a whole lot about theatrical improvisation. I knew it from uh, music, a uh, huge jazz fan, deadhead. I knew it from my studies on the beat generation and, and improvisational writing. So I was like, I have this whole improv thing, but it was not this. And then of course you recognize that, that, that all comes together. And, and that was my aha was watching an improv set coming out of the back bar when I was washing dishes and it was Mike Myers uh, and Bonnie oh. Hunter improvising a scene. And I was just like, this is unbelievable, unbelievable. And then night after night after night. Right. And then you're, and then you're, you're stuck and then you do it forever. Yes. And you're like, when does Space Jam happen? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 exactly. You're the first person who's ever been introduced from to improv comedy through the dead. That's hilarious. Exactly. Well, yeah, I was like, like the, the one of the, you know, few people who stayed for the Space Jam. And exactly. No, that's when I'm going. That's when I went to pee. Yeah. I, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. All right. So you actually talked a bit about your journey Uh, and I read this in a Thrive interview, that you moved around a lot as a child. And this is not an uncommon theme with a lot of our guests who find themselves in in similar spaces. So tell us how that might have, you know, influenced who you are today. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense, because especially if you're interviewing um, innovators or entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. um, I learned really early on that context was everything and it wasn't me it was the place and so there would be some places that so I moved around every year from seventh grade on and call it in different cities different states different countries uh just because my mom was kind of crazy so and like I went to boarding schools I went to schools for gifted people I went to schools with inner city schools with gangs in them I I was the only American in the French school so it was like really different experiences so if in one school I was the biggest nerd and the person like who only had two friends Mm -hmm. in the next school I could be super popular like it just totally depended so I really learned that you just have to find your people. And if you're not, if it's not hitting, keep trying. And also I learned to be funny because that is a great way of surviving in a school where there are gangs, (laughs) as it turns out, or, and being smart and being witty is very, very helpful. Um, And just being and persevering, like it's always going to get better. Yeah. And so that has served me very well as an inter- improviser and a lot as a leader in a business. For sure. Um, so in 2012, you started what you call the, quote, can I make a living doing what I love uh, experiment, end quote. Uh, so t- what, what got you to that point? And then what was that year like? Yeah. Don't you like my, I am the world's worst namer of things. It's a long name. Look, I mean, that's fine. I have yeah, a long but- but when it's my, yeah, when it's my thing, I get to name it whatever I want. Yeah. Uh, so what led to that was 10 years of homeschooling my oldest child. And mm-hmm. we brought them out of school because school was just not working for mm-hmm. them. They're not neurotypical and um, school is just destroying this kid. So they came out of school, homeschooled from grade two until college. They went off to college. And when they went off to college, I was kind of like, huh, what do I do now? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a, I have my master's in elementary education. So I thought, oh, I could go back and teach elementary school or I could do this thing that I had by that time fallen in love with. Uh, as a way of just getting out of the house, I started improvising when my kids were little because I was a full-time, stay-at-home, homeschooling mom. And it's just like, get me out of the flipping house, right? I just, ugh. So when my younger kid got out of diapers, I was like, freedom. You know, and I'm walking around the supermarket and I see this little improv class. And so I tear off the thing at the bottom. And that's when I had my real aha moment yeah. sitting in that improv class. And from that moment on, I'd been hooked. And hooked hard, Kelly. <laughs> it was like not pretty. Uh, it was like by any means necessary. I was a cookie monster. I was like more improv. So when I was on, a, you know, I got to this, my kids going off to school, I could go back, teach, or maybe I can make a living in improv. Crazy idea. I live in a small town in Ma- Western Massachusetts. There was one perked group doing a show at a Chinese food restaurant uh, once a, every Saturday. And so they, they were the only game in town. There was, those are the people who taught. taught. Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to just try. So that was like my first yes and experience story of when I was just like, I'm going to offer a class. And then at the end of that class, because the, let me get, jump back for a second. So the experiment was trying to make $16,000 in one year exclusively through improv. Mm-hmm. Right? And I chose 16 grand because it was the poverty line for the family of two, for a family of two. Yep. Also seemed like more money that I could ever imagine making an improvisation. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I just, I don't, I barely know anybody who does improv full time. And most of them are in Chicago. Second City's probably like the only place that where people can get a wage. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, you know, like I have friends in improv Boston, but it's just like a couple people doing it there and some people in LA, but really, yeah, not a lot of people doing it full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and certainly nobody in a small town. Um, so I was like, okay, if I can make 16 grand, that'd be awesome. And I was super privileged to be able to even be in that position, I realized, because my husband was working, and so I could take that risk. So I taught a class. Uh, after that class, I was pretty sure I ran out of people who were interested in learning how to improvise in my area. But those guys asked me if I could teach another class. And so I said, okay, uh, what do you want to learn? <laughs> I thought I taught them everything I knew. And they told me, and so I took notes, and I taught that class, whatever they said. And so I just kept building it around. And then I thought, oh, I wonder if I could get another class, if there are 12 more people in this valley. Uh, and so I offered the class, and 12 more people signed up. So then I started doing, someone asked me to do a keynote. I'm like, I don't know how to do a keynote. You know, that's what I'm thinking. But Mm -hmm. I said, sure. You know, and I did a pretty bad keynote. Uh, And then the next one was better. And I started doing professional development. I made the dollar amount in six months. Wow. And then a year later, I was founding a Happier Valley Comedy. All right. And you you made a pivot uh, that took me much longer, I think, to make, um, which was not just loving improv for improv's sake, but finding this connection between improvisation and wellness and, you know, caregiving and, and, and uh, uh, mental well-being and that sort of, so how, 
what was that that process for you of making that discovery and then and then making that pivot? Well, two things. One is, and you'll appreciate this as a uh, Second City person. You are familiar, of course, with my big fat Greek wedding. Yep. She comes from Second City, mm-hmm. right? They both do, right? They're both. A, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, so the dad in that felt Windex was the cure for everything, right? Yes. yes. I feel that way about improv. Right. I'm like, give me your problem, and I'm going to tell you how improvisation can cure it. I'm like, yeah, your face is breaking out. I can help you out, right? It's like, I really do. I think, I, I guess I haven't found a problem. I guess, sure, there are medical problems and stuff like that. But uh, as far as being an actualized, happy human being, uh, improvisation is pretty good medicine. Yeah. So given that... Um, that said, I never wanted to do a wellness program about improvisation. I uh, had thought I was done making stuff up, and I was just, I've been running this ship. You know, I'm running Happier Valley Comedy. Uh, it opened, we opened a physical theater, whatever, two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing gangbusters, 11 classes a week, all classes, uh, shows selling out, and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. So everything came to a screeching halt except for, the personal development stuff. And it was the same sort of situation where like everything stopped in a minute, right? I lost everything. We lost everything, except I had booked this one keynote for a tech conference around here. And they asked me if I could do it online. Mm -hmm. Now, I do an interactive keynote. Like all, everything I do is interactive. I don't want to stand up there yapping away at people. I want people to be you know, trying out the stuff and getting it into their bones. So I'm like, I don't think I could do an interactive keynote, but I just thought that I didn't say it. My mouth said, sure. Right. (laughs) Cause I'm an improviser and it was a paycheck and it might've been, I thought at the time, my last paycheck, you know, the last money that was coming into the company for who knows how long. Right. So I figured out through that process, how to translate it online. Like we all did. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were so nice. They walked me through it. I figured out how breakout rooms work and all that stuff. So I started figuring out, oh, I could do the professional development online. That still works. And I do personal development too. Now you're leading to how I did the wellness thing. And it's so funny because I can't for the life of me remember (laughs) how it started. I was just in a place of pure innovation. I was just trying everything. Mm-hmm. And anything. And I think I was thinking about self-care. I always think about how it could help with resilience. Right. And so I created this program, uh, Resilience and Self-Care Through Joy, what I call the 30-Day Happiness Experiment, where I took, I found, eventually it narrowed it down to 17 different happiness habits. Mm-hmm. And they're all evidence-based habits that you can do in a couple minutes a day. And... Trying, them, trying to do them, one or two of them every day for 30 days as an experiment, right, mm-hmm. to see if it helps with wellness and well-being. And, and are you, in terms of, is, is there any specific, like, academics that you're maybe drawing from, like Lori Santos or, yep. like, yeah, Lori, okay, great. Uh-huh, Lori Santos, absolutely. Um, oh, the happy, what's his name? Great book. Pretty, if it has happiness in the title, I've yeah, listened to Yeah, maybe Emma Cephala. She does some stuff around that, too. You know, it's a man. Uh, I'll find I can find interesting. it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. The Happiness Challenge. I can't remember what it's called. It, it, so it's interesting because, you know, I, 
two things from our world. One is we discovered just through students who are showing up to take classes like that, that their, their doctor prescribed improv to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Wait a second. Why, you know, and, and, and so, you know, fairly, you know, I think most of us are broken in some way, uh, yeah. but, you know, discovering the broken people that showed up here and just they're self-medicating through improv. Yes. That was the first thing. And so then we designed these programs to, to, to meet them. And then for me, it was, it was all about meeting Ai-jen Poo uh, from Caring Across Generations and deciding to collaborate on an improvisation for caregivers program and then working with the Cleveland Clinic. And, uh, like, it, and, and once you're sort of immersed in, in that world, you're like, oh, this, this connection is not as tenuous. I don't have to convince people as much as, as, as maybe I thought, as, as probably I would have 10 years ago. I think there's a very big difference in the last decade uh, in terms of the way people are now, you know, um, feeling about improvisation and, and, and understanding just the simple, I, and it probably has to do a lot with um, social media and as much time as we're doing in electronic communication, that at a certain point they're like, oh yeah, we need, we're, we're, we're looking at our kids who don't know how to talk without a screen. <laughs> right. And I think that, and I think that that scares them. And I'm of an age where it's like, I didn't have a screen. I mean, sure. they were like, you know, we, when I started at Second City, there was no screen. No screens. When I went to college, no screens. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I typed my thesis. I actually, no, yeah. I paid someone to type my thesis. Um, <laughs> what I did. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's dig into some of this stuff because one of the things you write a lot about, and, I, and I've actually done a fair amount of like work in this area too, is how the concept of gratitude, which is central to improvisation, is also so central to mm. well-being. Absolutely. And that's one of our happiness habits. That's like every program I have to have gratitude because it's all about positivity. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and that's how I define this, what I call the spirit of yes. And Mm -hmm. Um, cause I, yes. And it's not a directive in my mind. It's a mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, in fact, I don't even teach yes. And to beginning students. I know it's crazy pants. It's (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Because it's misunderstood, but we do talk about. It. I talk about the spirit. Not that I don't call it the spirit of yes and yes and, but I call it talk about agreement and acceptance because that's. I define the spirit of yes and as uh, acceptance of the reality of the moment and the agreement to move forward together with positivity, with joy and ease. And joy and ease is it's kind of part of the core values of my company, and it's how. I, it's the only assessment tool that we use in my improv classes, mm. including when I work with wellness or when I work with professional development. It's like, what, what, where's the joy? Where's the ease? And if there's no joy in the situation, because sometimes life's like that, I sub the word peace. Given the reality of this situation, how can we come into the accept into acceptance, which is a process, and follow the peace and the ease of the moment? Right. So that's that's doing it. And so when we start doing that, then all of the, that's gratitude. Right. Get following the positivity. In fact, I start all my classes with gratitude when mm-hmm. I teach improv, like because I want them to start thinking of po- in positive ways. Right. That we're we're, we're bal- rebalancing our neg- natural negativity bias. Yeah. As- Human beings are naturally going to go toward the negative. We're looking at negative more often. We're going to see it more. Yeah. And I believe when you train your brain to look for the positive, you'll find more. So another happiness habit in the program is what I call positivity blueberries. 
Uh, because I think looking for positivity, looking for gratitude is like going blueberry picking. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever gone blueberry picking, you look at the bush and all of a sudden you're like, there are no blueberries on that, on the bush. Everybody picked all the good ones. You're like, wah, wah. and then you see one of them. And then once you notice one of them, oh, there's another one and another one. And so that bush that looked empty is now full of blueberries because humans are pattern makers. And we've trained our brain to look for this thing, blueberries. Or people who find um, four-leaf clovers have trained their brains to look for the pattern of four-leaf clovers. So improvisation is great to train our brains to look for the positive. Mm -hmm. Likewise, gratitude practices are great to train our brains to look for, again, the positive in life. Not because it's not okay to have negative, but because we are imbalanced in general. Most of us are pretty imbalanced. This, this idea, I feel like the noticing and the gratitude are like a pretzel that it, it's not one may come before the other, but it is, it's, it's sort of a constant, like, you know, um, crisscross where, where, you know, like, oh, good, I'm, I'm in this noticing place and, and then I'm remembering to be grateful or I'm, I'm grateful that that is allowing me to, to notice. And, and these are the muscles that aren't worked out not, not in education, um, not in, in, in jobs that like you're not onboarded and talked to about noticing gratitude. However, they are the skills of like the best salespeople or the best surgeons or any sort of peak performer. Absolutely. And not only that, I mean, it's a pretzel on top of a pretzel because when I did blue positivity blueberries, it's a happiness habit, which means at the end of the day, you take two minutes to write down three positive things that happened mm-hmm. in that day. That's a really simple practice. It's very related to a gratitude practice. It could be any positive thing at all. I say, don't judge your thing, just write down. So when I started writing down, and I did this as a 30 day experiment myself, I noticed that for me, the moments of connections with people were the things that I was most grateful for, that I was the best part of my day, the most yeah. positive part of the day. So the cool thing is then when those moments came, I wanted to bring more presence to them mm-hmm. because that might be the best part of that day, mm-hmm. right? This moment right now talking to you probably is going to make my positivity blueberries list mm-hmm. right? because right. it's cool. I, I love this. I love talking about this stuff. I get to meet a new person. Right. And so it's, it's so nifty, right? So I want to be more present. I don't want to be thinking about the 400 things I have to do. I want to be here for this moment. And presence is another really great skill. Huge. Yes. Huge. Huge as an improviser and as uh, for everything, right? Yeah. It's all about communication. It's yeah. all about collaboration, yeah. right? All of it. All well, that's, a, that's the interesting working with the behavioral science community is, you know, all the scholars that we work with are constantly giving us the evidence for how we misunderstand um, most of it. Mm-hmm. In the moment, we are, we are making assumptions. We've got, you know, we're, we're, it's system one, system two thinking. And, uh, and then we're missing these, these signs. And, and, you know, uh, and if we can do two things, one, of course, be, be well, it, what, it, it, what we talked about the scholars is what does it mean to be present? And one of the things that Nick Epley always talks about, one of our main folks we work with, is the importance of asking questions which is always a unique thing in improv, right? Because sometimes you're taught not to ask questions, but indeed in, in, in terms of getting to know someone, and I think there are skillful ways to do that that will forward scenes. Yeah. But th- this idea of like, no, 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 people aren't going to tell you the truth until like the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh 
questions. So how do you keep that level of engagement, which, which really requires you, you have to feel that I see you. And if, if, if you feel seen by me, like yeah. we're going to be able to do anything. Yeah. So, and I would even reframe that or tweak it to yeah. not be necessarily asking questions, but curiosity. Sure. Right. What I call a capital C, capital C curiosity, right? It's just, yeah, it, it might look like asking questions or like this. I don't want it. What's system one, system two thinking? Oh, it's Danny Kahneman uh, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. And so we've got these two ways of thinking. And one is the fast one, which which we're given to basically run away when a tiger approaches us on the savannah. Gotcha. And then uh, the, the more deliberative uh, kind of thinking, which is where the jury, which is like, well, let me think about this. But the, the reality is when I first, when my wife actually first read this book, she's like, this is improv. Improv is constantly switching system one, system two, system one, system two. And so you can actually practice the way that human beings already think. And one of the problems, he's got a new book out called Noise, is that so, so system one, system two is where all the bias work came from, yes. anchoring bias and recency bias and all that. And his new book is on noise. And we just interviewed Linnea Gandhi about this because she worked on the book. And unfortunately, not everything's bias. There's also noise, which is yeah. just the stuff that we don't get because our judgment is off. Uh, and so there's, again, these levels of impediments that the, that the scientific community has discovered. And then, and, then, and then what they're all seeing in improv is like, oh yeah, but this is like, you have this practice which can help people navigate their biases and their noise. I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's so cool, right? Isn't it? Like we get, when I hear or people like Brene Brown, who's so brilliant, yeah. and every time she talks about it, I'm like, Brene, come to an improv class. Like we get to practice this on our feet in connection with yeah. other people over and over. I'd say it's like going to the gym for your soul. Yeah. Right? Right. So not only I do, I get to be like, oh yeah, presence is important, but I keep losing presence and coming back and losing presence and coming back. And you can learn that meditating, but it's super fun to learn it playing bunny bunny, you know, or freeze tag with a bunch of people. Um, I taught uh, an anxiety program with using improv to help with anxiety with a social worker. And she called that first thought, second thought yes, or reflexive thinking mm -hmm. uh, or the dinosaur brain and the cognitive brain. And so in the improv class, I say, what stops you from having joy and ease? Again, it's the only way I like to judge it. I never use good or bad. And I'll say the same thing in a professional development workshop. What's stopping us from having joy and ease? And more often than not, and this is related to what you were just saying, judgment stops yes. us from having joy and ease. And most often, it's our personal judgment of ourselves, our yeah. inner critic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and behind that inner critic lives the voice of fear or the messengers of fear, the internal messengers of unhelpful fear. Right? I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I'm afraid I'm going to look stupid. I'm afraid I'm going to lose control. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm afraid of what's going to happen in the future. I, I don't know what's going to happen. And there's the great unknown. Like, so all of those fears, those little messengers in there are telling us, stop, don't do it. You're going to fail. Right? I call them Cujo, the chorus of uh, unhelpful judges, judgos to get the O in there. <laughs> uh, two things. Brene Brown loves improv. Uh, uh, oh, of course. Right. Has she been to Second City? Uh, yeah, she's been. Yeah, she we actually we were uh, before her at a conference 
And she was like, this is what, and then, and then I had her on the podcast and she's, she, yeah, so she's very into it. And the other thing that was interesting is we, we do work in at Harvard now quite a bit. And, and Francesca Gino is one of the professors there, great scholar. She was blown away by this very simple concept that it hadn't dawned on her that you cannot be creative and be judging at the same time. Yeah. You know who said that to me first? Hmm. Mark Sutton. Oh, interesting. Of the Annoyance Theater. And, and Second City uh, works yep. for the theater. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It, and it's, it was just like, she's like, this has just changed my entire approach to this. And so, so what, she, what she recognizes, and she brings us in to do this with the students, is we have to free them. Because Harvard students are super fucking smart, mm-hmm. and they are judgy as all get out. And, and we actually now are working with another professor there who was like, yep, I need, you got to get these kids so that they they can critique everyone beautifully and they just, but they don't know how to tell their story. Yeah. I was working with, I, we have five colleges in the area, Smith, uh, Mount Holyoke, uh, mm-hmm. Amherst college. So I was at Amherst college and I was doing something and this kid came to me, he was a senior and he's like, I've never heard anybody say anything like what you're saying to me. Like he had never gotten the message oh. that the inner critic was just a belief, not a fact. Yeah. It's just a feeling. It's not a fact. Right. And, it, and it could be asked to step aside so we could pay more attention to the moments that are actually happening rather than the moment we were afraid is going to happen or that we wish were happening instead. Yeah. Right. I think that's the thing, too, is I, and I think you only know this if you if you've gone through a tragedy, which which is like this, this stuff it works and it's not, it's not, it's really not Pollyannic. It, 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 I know there was a fear early in my career. Um, Cause I'm not a big fan of improv gurus. Uh, I, I, I know most of them and they're deeply flawed human beings um, uh, <laughs> as we all are. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, people kind of made a, a church of improv, which, which can, you know, really cut bad. Um, on the other hand, um, the reality is I've just seen it over and over again in my own life and in others, which is like, it, it helps you get through a lot of pain um, and, and, and gives you a kind of North star that if you sort of stick with the tenants, you're going to be as okay as you can be. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're offering opportunities to have face-to-face connection, intentional connection, intentional, mindful connection with other people. And we get to play. Yeah. Right. Those two things, incredibly therapeutic. I mean, I, they say, people say, my students say they keep taking my classes or our classes here because they're cheaper than therapy. Right. right. And like, like you, I keep getting, I ask my students, what, what, what brings you here? And uh, a lot of times lately they're like, oh, my therapist told me I had to, or my spouse told me I had <laughs> to take it. <laughs> uh, they're unpaid therapist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because like, uh, yeah. Because it, it does, it feels really good, but we're in connection with other people. And that's the beauty of doing improv where I get to do it. Like I thought being quote unquote stuck in Western Massachusetts, the only, uh, without a real improv scene before we started was my albatross. Right? Yeah. I, all I wanted, I would have died to have a second city, right? Boston is two hours away from me. It just like as a mom, that was just too hard for me to, for me to do. I came to Chicago and I studied, you know, but it took, I had to move heaven and earth in order to just do it for a few weeks. Um, but it ended up being my gift doing it out here mm-hmm. because my students are not going anywhere. 
Uh, most of my students are not rushing to get up on stage. They're not running out the door to try to get on Saturday Night Live. They're here because it feels good. They're here because it's a beautiful community. It's a great way to be in connection. They're here because there's, that's the one way to play. Uh, and we don't get to play as adults very much. Uh, and that's, it's so cool. And it's a great business model because those students from that, ha- can I make a living doing what I love experiment? 75% of them are still in our community, at least. Oh, great. I'm in connection great. with all, 100% of them, but some of them, you know, have gone off and, I don't know, pretended to live normal lives. Uh, but most of them are around as students or as audience members or as cast members. So it's, it's so cool. The moment I'm going to ask you for a yes and story before we oh. do that, um, do your kids improvise? Oh, great question. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they vehemently do not improvise. Okay. When we were homeschooling, I taught improv, and so they did it at that point. And they did a lot of theater. Both my kids did a ton of theater when they were in high school and then kind of in, in college a bit. Um, and now, you know, like, I think my daughter auditioned for in one school for a, an improv team and she didn't get in. And I was like, who do I have to kill? Like, I'm just like, are you, come on, come on. I wrote a book with TJ and Dave. Come on, exactly. Lama, let, let's talk. You dumb Florida kids. Uh, so. Same thing happened to my son, by the way. And oh like, my Lord. And he's a, like, he's an excellent improviser. No, and I was like, my oh, kid's a good improviser. Yes. He's political. Yeah, right. You had to be a theater major and she didn't learn louder, faster, funnier improv. She lost, she learned theatrical improv. So yeah, right now, if you say they, my daughter, my younger daughter comes to shows Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when she's in town. So she enjoys the shows. She and her dad get high and come to shows. (laughs) And then my older daughter, uh, we'll run the box office. And so we'll watch the shows and laughs at them despite herself. So she mm-hmm. says she doesn't like improv, but I see her laughing and that brings me great joy. I love it. Okay. This, this feels like the biggest, like e- easiest question. Um, and, and in many ways, your, your life story is a yes and story. Yeah. Um, but yeah. What, uh, do you have a yes and story for us? I mean, I told you two yes and stories that I think, uh, yeah, my every moment of my life is a yes and story. Um, my biggest one was starting this business, mm-hmm. you know, and then every day since then uh, is like, okay, wonder what's going to happen next. And so the, the next one was during the pandemic when it looked like all was lost. I just kept yes anding ideas. And, and it's funny because my business partner and I have different approaches uh, to fear. I am, my approach is to try as much shit as possible. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a fighter. I'm like, get out there and try everything. And it's not necessarily great, but it it is what I do. And he's the freezer. He's like, stop, nobody move, nothing changed. Don't move my cheese. Like, yeah. Uh, and so in the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, we're going to do all our classes online and we'll do shows online and we'll do shows for kids. And he's like, no, 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 no. We shouldn't do anything. Uh, so that's what led me to doing the resilience and self-care through joy of like, okay, I'm just going to try this idea. And it continues. I'm still yes. Anding this idea to tell you the truth, Kelly, because I don't know how it's going to turn out. I can't say it it worked well during the pandemic and then people stopped being interested in doing stuff online. Mm -hmm. Will it transition to in person? 
I know how it will look. There's a book in here, right? Yeah. I've, I've written the book. I've written the book proposal of my agent shopping, you know, or deciding to shop it around. But there are a lot of books about happiness. I think this one's special, but whatever. Uh, same kids. There's the same kids who are judging this book as, as rejected my daughter in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, you kids. Oh, those kids from Florida. Oh, those kids from Florida. I love it. Um, Pam, if people want to find if, if people want to find you, where, where do they find uh, information on all your stuff? Happiervalley.com. Everything's on there. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could, I could do this all day long. Me too. <laughs> Getting the SN is produced by Second City Works and WGM Radio. Our editor and producer is L.F. Garris. We get support at the Second City from Jenny Crowley, Abby Bumbledare, Mike Farinaccio, and Colleen Fahey. The music you hear at the beginning and end of the show is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you have questions, guest ideas, or if you want more information on working with Second City Works, you can go to www.secondcityworks.com, or you can email us directly at works at secondcity.com. Survive